0: Had the same schedule as me for a day and was just one of those people that stops and like lollygags all day long because that's not my style i'm really slow hiking and so i feel the sense of urgency that i have to like like don't stop because you won't make it on time and i don't like to be out after dark so like come on let's do the thing and so i was hiking with him for a day and we stopped there was a lake like a mile from where we left and he was like let's take our shoes off and like play around and eat snacks and do stuff and i'm like I like only hiked one mile, <laughs> but I I did, and it was so nice. It was just.
1: Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is a podcast where we pull up a seat at the campfire and have a conversation about all things thru-hiking, the triumphs and challenges, and oh, those lessons learned. And today's guest is Lady Unicorn, known off-trail as Christine Reed. In her new book, Alone in Wonderland, she explores the longer journey we're all on when we come to thru-hiking. In 2014, she started the AT, only to be pulled off-trail by the death of her mother, Four years later, she hit the Wonderland Trail, hiking back into herself. In this episode, we talk about her new book, about the inner conflict she battled while on the AT, her changing relationship with her body as she has fallen more and more in love with the hiker life, and the reciprocity of accepting help. You can find this episode at hiking-through.com, as well as on our brand new Hiking Through channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Lady Unicorn welcome to the podcast christine uh and thank you so much for sharing your your book alone in wonderland with me thank you aaron for having me on what i i mean i've I've read the book and i was fascinated with your journey both on the at and on the wonderland trail and how those things kind of overlapped in your head? Because it, I mean, suffice to say there was a lot of processing going on there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's been a long journey. And I think the interesting thing about writing about it from the, the perspective of like, you know, this journey started in 2014 when I decided to hike the AT and then it goes through 2018 when I hike the Wonderland trail and get off and um, so that allowed for like to kind of show the longer journey that i think a lot of us are on when we come to through hiking and that a lot of books about through hiking kind of don't cover that like but then what happens um aspect. and for me, um the journey really started with the at and I didn't hike the whole at and so then there was this like in between time um, of post trail kind of still like figuring things out and then, you know, life sort of like led me back to the trail again. Um, my decision to go on the Wonderland Trail definitely had to do with like a feeling of incomplete processing that I hadn't finished with the AT because of other stuff that had gone on in my life.
1: Right, well, and <clears throat> the your AT journey was very I guess the best word I can use for it is kind of charged because you have the the issues the whatever with your mom that you never actually get to finish because she dies very soon after you start the trail and I can only imagine that the processing of that the the conversations you're having in your head are a, a struggle but or, make the hiking like twice as hard, basically.
0: Yeah. I mean, definitely one of the reasons that I wanted to hike the AT in the first place was like my relationship with who I was and and a relationship with who I was um, kind of in comparison with my mom. And I think that a lot of us struggle with that, right? How you compare yourself to your parents yeah. and, and what they gave you and who you are because of them. And I really you know, I was in my early 20s and I wasn't happy with my life. And I was like, I need to do something that's going to help me decide who I am as a person and and become something better than what I am right now. Um, and so a lot of that was kind of an effort to like break free of my parents and, and go do my own thing. And then, you know, as soon as I get on the trail, my mom died. And so then I have this conflict, inner conflict of like, what am I really out here for? And do I really need to break away from my parents? My mom is dead. So it's like I don't really need to go out here and like prove that I don't need her because I don't have her anymore. And yeah. so it's not really a choice at this point. Um, but then of course I'm also like processing grief. And I I really had a very good relationship with my mom. She was a wonderful woman um and an amazing mom. And and so my my breaking free was not like trying to leave because she was bad it was just trying to like serve my independence. Um and so then it's like okay I wanted to go be independent and like strong and and do things on my own and instead am faced with like I have no choice now but to do things on my own um because my support system is gone. And and so that transition, you know, I spent a lot of time alone on the Appalachian Trail and and not engaging the community in a way that I think so many people do, and in a way that I was really excited to do. But then I got out there and I was like, I like, no one out here understands what I'm going through, and and I like talking to them and hanging out and like making a group of friends isn't gonna like replace what I've lost. Um, and I think the interesting thing is that a lot of people out there do know what you're going through.
1: <laughs> you <know? laughs> the follow-up question that I was going to ask was,
0: do you regret that? Because there's um, there's a lot of yeah, processing well, going on. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot. Um, and I I definitely did make friends. I have friends still from the AT that I go and hang out with Um, and And I'm thinking about doing the Colorado Trail this fall. And one of my friends from the AT and I are like talking about doing it together. So I definitely like built relationships for sure. Um, And I met people too, who were dealing with similar things. I hiked with a guy for just a couple of days who was carrying his dad's ashes with him. And we talked a lot. And that was a really great connection for me because I I got to have a conversation with someone who was going through what I was going through on a pretty close um, scale. But the difference was like his dad always wanted to hike the AT. And so he was like hiking the AT in memoriam. And I had been going to hike the AT to be like, see, I don't need you to my mom. And, and so then I had this guilt that was like, okay, now I'm still doing this thing that I was like doing kind of like as an, I'll show you. Um, and, you know, all these wonderful people I talked to were like, your mom would be so proud of you. And, and that just ate me up inside. Cause I knew my mom didn't want me out there when I had told her I wanted to do it. She was not like psyched for me at all. Um, so there was a lot of inner conflict about like why I was out there. And I think we all have that, you know, Zach Davis says in, um, Appalachian trials, like the, why is what keeps you going. And I think I got to a point on the AT where I had kind of done what I really wanted to do with hiking. And I had proved the things to myself that I felt I needed to prove. And, and that's why I didn't finish the trail because I got to a point where, my why had kind of been done. And I was like, does it really matter now if I hike another thousand miles or, or have I gotten what I came for? And at the time I felt like I had, like I had accomplished what I was trying to accomplish, which is to prove to myself, I could do it, like go out, hike on my own, kind of take on the world in that way. And it wasn't so much about the number of miles. It was about the exercise of Doing the thing, um, and so I came to a point where I was like, at, you know, right now I want to go home and be with my dad and and deal with my mom's death in other ways. Um, and so that you know, that's kind of why I didn't finish the AT. And it's also I think as life moves forward and more things happen and we have different issues to deal with in ourselves, that hiking always kind of calls to me in a way that it's like it's going to answer some kind of question for me um, because at that point in my life, it really did. And, and so now when I find myself like banging my head against the wall in life, I think I should really go hike about this. <laughs> I should hike it out. <laughs> yeah. Which is what that's how I ended up on the wonderland trail. I was, I had gotten to a place where I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm alone. I'm sad. Like maybe the trail will answer my questions. It's interesting. To me,
1: like you did about 500 miles of the AT um, and you came off of that, as you say, to, you know, be with your dad and so forth. But it's interesting to me because the other thing that you basically seem to have come off the trail with is this fundamental shift in sort of your identity as well, which is I'm a hiker. I'm a through hiker, which was something completely foreign to you prior to that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say it's, it's really one of the things that I maybe couldn't put into words when I decided to do the Appalachian Trail. But looking back on it, it's so clear that what I was really searching for was identity. And I wanted to be someone who was about something. And that's one of the things I talk about is like, you know, some people are from childhood playing sports or playing an instrument, or they're really into art or, you know, you, you have these identities even from childhood. And I feel like my identity as a child was like academic. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really into school and I loved to read. Um, and that's great for a child, right? Like <laughs> I was really successful in school. I went to college. I did all the things my parents wanted me to do. Um, And then, you know, you finish college and if your identity is all academic based, then like what then? And, you know, some people become, I guess, career students and they get their master's and their doctorate and they're always learning. And I've definitely been learning since I finished college. But when I got my degree and I walked out of the door, I, I thought to myself, like, what do I do now? Um, And so that's when I really like It wasn't very long after that, that I found a blog about the AT and thought, oh, I could do this. Like, so yeah, I saw, I saw this blog and I was reading it and I was like the passion behind this blog, like the people who are out there hiking this trail, like they're really about it. And they, they see that as like what their, their life is about for this period of time. And it, it gives you a break from what you were doing. And, and it is, it's a lot of people who are trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives. And so they go you know, kind of clear their head, but then also like you become about backpacking and I guess maybe not everyone does. Some people go back to their lives afterwards and just like continue living their life. But most of the people I met on the AT like radically changed their life afterwards. Um, And whether or not that means they're like, you know, career backpackers now, or they're just, they just went and did something different because it gave them the space to kind of throw everything away and start over Um, and I think that's what I was looking for is just, I wasn't happy. I wasn't living where I wanted to be living. I wasn't doing a job I wanted to be doing. And I thought, I I don't know what's next for me, but I know it's not this. And so the AT seemed like a really good opportunity to kind of just like wash my hands and like search for something else. And I don't think I thought I would become a career backpacker, but, um, you know, backpacking and hiking. And now I'm, I'm really into rock climbing and I've gotten into trail running. And so I just have like such a relationship now with the outdoors that I didn't have before. And I think that, you know, my Instagram rugged outdoors woman, kind of started as a joke, but like, I really, that's how I see myself now. Right. Like I'm, you know, maybe rugged, (laughs) not so much, but like, (laughs) But like that passion for being outdoors and the relationship with it is like, that really is my identity now. Um, And, and I have the AT to thank for that.
1: When you found the blog and thought to yourself, okay, this, this is what I need to do right now. Like what was the, because it's, it is such a change from, for a lot of people, for most people, it is such a change from what they're currently doing. You know, when they say, okay, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do through hike. I'm going to through hike this trail. I'm going to live in a tent or in a shelter. I'm going to get hiker, you know, I'm going to be hiker trash essentially. Um, How did you even think about any of that stuff beforehand? Or was it more just, I need to change. I need some space to think this will provide that. And then sort of the rest of what that meant came up to you once you, you know, hit Springer Mountain and started walking.
0: <laughs> um, yes and no, a little bit of both. <laughs> um, I definitely like part of my decision was like my interaction with the hiking community online. Um, and, And part of it, I think, was like even from before I started hiking, as soon as I said, I'm going to do this, I started thinking of myself as a person who, like, this was part of their life. And so when I interacted or just read blogs and the posts and things, I was like, I'm part of this, right? Like, I'm part of the community, I'm doing the thing. Um, And I started planning. And I think a big part of the appeal for me was the planning process because I'm a big, like, project oriented person. Um, And I think. I feel like a lot of three hikers would agree, right? Like the research and the planning and the, you know, buying the gear and the planning your meals and like doing all of those things is a huge part of the experience. <laughs> and for a lot of us, like, it's just as fun as the hiking, especially if we suck at hiking and the hiking is actually kind of miserable. Um, <laughs> like the, you know, it's, it's really a whole experience.
1: You decide to do, you, you decide you're going to do this and you, and then obviously you show up on the trail and as you say there's a lot of planning that happens sort of in the middle there that starts to get you i guess as you make the point it starts to get you integrated into this is who i am i am a hiker i do these things i i do gear research i find the best ultralight gear i do the food research i do all of that stuff but did it really kind of hit you and i'm changing the question on you a little bit but did it really kind of hit you what you were really talking about doing <laughs> When you started down that path, and even probably within the first couple of days, because I know your mother died very shortly after you started the trail, um, what you had assigned yourself to do, did you really kind of understand what that Um, that
0: was going to be? Yeah, I think on some levels, like on the mental levels, I had prepared, like, this is going to be really challenging. This is a big project. It's, you know, if you think about it, like something that you're working on for a long time and you have to break it into chunks. Like I had read a lot about the mentality of through hiking and the never quit on a rainy day and all of those things. Um, and I had, you know, bought all of the gear. And so I had like envisioned myself, right. I'm going to be like at the campfire cooking my food and I'm going to be sleeping in the sleeping bag. And I did a few practice. Like I used my tent, my sleeping bag on like a rafting trip that I went on the summer before. And I did two overnight backpacking trips, um, in Yosemite the season before, um, I went on the AT, but I really had never backpacked before. And so, Um, And I hadn't done very much hiking either. I, like, wasn't an active person. And so I think you envision yourself, like, doing all these things based on what you've read other people doing. And you think, like, yeah, I'm going to hike 11 miles a day. And, you know, it's going to be that easy. And then 20 miles a day. And then you get out there and you're like, oh, this is hard. And, like, this bag is really heavy. And, yeah, I definitely had that experience the first couple of days. And, you know, I did the Amicalola um, approach trail. And I'm like climbing up these stairs thinking, what have I done to myself? (laughs) Um, and you know, I had talked about it for over a year before I started the trail. So I was like, I have to do this. I can't not do it, you know, for my own sake, because of all the reasons I really want to do this, but also because I told everyone I was doing it. (laughs) Um, yeah. And so, yeah, there was some shock. And then the first day that it rained, um, in Georgia, I thought, oh my God, Like I have a rain jacket. I was prepared for rain, but I did not mentally prepare to walk in the rain. Like it was cold and miserable. And I was shivering and walking with a heavy pack on in the mud and my feet were sliding. And it was just, it's all the things that you're just like, why would anyone do this? So that I, that was definitely a day that I thought, oh, I didn't think about this. Like I thought about it enough to buy a rain jacket but I didn't think about like what the experience of walking through the rain would actually be like. Um, So that's like a good example of that kind of like, you, you know, you buy the things and you do the research and you plan your food and you do all this stuff. But then when you get out there, it's not what you picture unless you backpack, which I hadn't. So, and I know a lot of people through hike who have never backpacked before. It's like, a funny anomaly of the culture is that like we there's so much information out there and it's like accessible in a way um that it's a dream for a lot of people and even people who have dreamed of it for like years and didn't just find it on the internet and decide to do it like they don't practice but also you don't have to and that's one of the things that I think is really cool about the accessibility especially of the AT is like there's so much resource and it's so popular and some people think that that sucks but those people are people who've backpacked their whole life but people who want to do this as like an experience for their life and not necessarily because they love backpacking like the experience is accessible in a way that you get all kinds of people with all different levels of experience and it's like a really cool culture meld especially at the beginning of the AT when there's still like uh, so many people around. <laughs> yeah.
1: And and you're right. I mean it does it draws the people who need a change or who want a change in their life. And for some reason, and and I'm guilty of this as well, really, for some reason it's created in such a way or it's talked about in such a way that that you can go, I've never done this before in my life, but I can get the gear. I can show up on the trail and I can hike and I can do this. And there's, there's, I mean, if you think about it, there's really no evidence that would, that would uh, make you confident in that really.
0: And yet everybody almost does. <laughs> yeah. I mean really everybody just shows up and they're like we're just gonna walk like my first day I didn't even make it to the trail like I stopped at the shelter before the summit of Springer Mountain and slept there and then I got to Springer Mountain the second day and like that's totally cool I was not the only person sleeping at that shelter (laughs) and so yeah there's just like a level of accessibility and like when you read blogs and stuff people are like yeah just start off hiking five miles a day and like you'll get your trail legs and eventually you'll get there. And I guess one of the things for me that was a little discouraging is that I never felt like I got my trail legs in mm. 650 miles. I was still like every ascent was still hard. Every like my backpack was still heavy. Um, and I even talk about that in the book about being on the wonderland trail. And like, I've been hiking and backpacking for almost five years now and it's still hard. Um And I don't talk about this in the book, but come to find out just recently this year, I have a heart condition um, that I have had my entire life undiagnosed. So I, (sighs) like after all of this experience, come to find out, yeah, that I have, um, it's called POTS and it is basically just anytime I exercise or stand up, my heart thinks that I'm sprinting. And so my heart goes 180 beats a minute when I'm walking, um, with a backpack on. So like, it's hard to ever feel like you're like in shape when your heart is doing that. Um, Uh, but I am in shape now compared to, you know, compared to back then. And I did get so much more fit on the AT over that period of time. But yeah, the day I left the trail, I felt like it was just as hard as the day I got there.
1: That's wild. The, the not not most people's experience <laughs> no no um, and and particularly when you say like even just standing up causes your heart to um, mm-hmm. race essentially.
0: Um, yeah so the yeah it's it's just like a quirky thing and it's not it, it's not uncommon and it's not uncommon that people go undiagnosed for a long time um because that's sort of the only symptom. I mean there if you have a more extreme version like some people pass out and stuff from it but I never had it that badly Mm -hmm. um but yeah it was just one of those things that I think like a lot of us at the beginning of the trail were like out of shape and overweight and have never backpacked before you know like there's a lot of people kind of in the same boat at the beginning and so you like get in groups with other people who are going your pace and so you see who else is like okay that person's as out of shape as I am, so like cool, we're friends now, and then <laughs> you're like <funded>. going along, <laughs> you're going along, and then like yeah, my friends would just like get faster and then faster and faster, and they'd be like, okay, we're leaving go. now. Um, so that I, that was another reason that I kind of spent a lot of time alone on the trail is like I just really was slow, and there weren't a whole lot of other people by three, four hundred miles in who were still going as slow as I was. Um, And it's another thing that I I kind of was dealing with that relationship with my mom too, because my mom was overweight my whole life um, and she was not very active. And so the going on the trail for me, part of it was about like taking care of my body in a way that had not been modeled for me as a child. And I thought I want to be the type of person who's like fit and healthy and taking care of themselves. Um, that was something that was really important to me at that point in my life because I hadn't been doing that and I was out of shape and I knew that I couldn't continue the way I was. And so the AT for me, like it was partly about like going off and doing the thing and making a change, but it was also about health. And I think for a lot of people, that's true. Like you're in a rut and you're out of shape and you're like not taking care of your body and you think I'm going to go do something active every day for six months and like walk, you know, I'm going to just basically force myself to do nothing but that. And, and it changes the way you think about being active.
1: And also how common that is actually on the trail, you know, that that that's almost, it's almost like that's one of the reasons that people go on the trail is to change their relationship with their bodies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's, there's like a couple of different aspects that are really interesting about that. And one of them is like part of going on the trail is like returning to this kind of really simple way of thinking about what you need in life. And it's like, I need to get up in the morning, eat some food so that I have the energy to walk, like go where I'm going, eat as I need to throughout the day, and like make sure to stay hydrated and then sleep at the end of the day. And like, there's just this kind of like super simple, like space that you get into with yourself where you're like, I give my body food and my body gives me movement and it's like an in out relationship. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, you know, if you talk to any like nutritionist or dietitian, like they, it always comes back to calories and calories out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really hard to like visualize in our normal world where we're not like outputting all the time. And so when you, now, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I, spend a lot of time sitting and, and it's hard to think about, like, we don't quite understand how like our food becomes fuel when you sit all day. And so, and like, how much fuel do you need to sit all day? Like, that's kind of hard to understand, but when you are walking all day, like your body tells you how much fuel you need. And if you're not giving it enough, you know, and when you're moving that much and working that much, it's hard to give your body too much. Um and so you really like get this different kind of tuned in feeling for what you need. And I definitely experience that now. Like even though I'm not walking all day, every day, like I know what it sounds like in my head when I need sugar versus salt. Oh, um, really?
1: Mm-hmm. Like and that- running
0: has been part of that too. But yeah, like you get if you really pay attention to the signals, like the low energy versus like when you get a headache versus (laughs) like being nauseous. Um, The body is telling you like specifically what it needs, not just food. So I think that's something that, yeah, we all kind of gain a little bit of that, but definitely a lot of people go looking for that with long trail hiking. And it was for sure. Part of what I was looking for was, was just to, I I mean to really make it simple is like like try not to hate my body so much and I think you know as a teenager I had an eating disorder and and I was really thin um but I did not have any energy and I was not super active so it was like, I had a lot of headaches and things like that, but I didn't really know why. And then, you know, once I went into college, I gained a little bit of weight. And so I was like a healthier weight, but I was still really inactive. And so I was not healthy by any means. Um, and I was also struggling not to put weight on and just because I wasn't doing anything. And so it was, I had a very like, hateful relationship with my body where I was like trying to starve myself not to gain weight and if I ever ate then I felt better but then I was like gaining weight all the time and and I you know I struggled a lot with body image and I really wasn't even like overweight I was still in a healthy weight category but I felt really like fat I hated my body and I looked in the mirror and thought ooh, like I don't want to look like that and you know honestly, like now I'm the same weight that I was then, but, but I'm, I'm really fit and I use my body and I appreciate my body in a way that I really didn't back then. Um, and one of the things that I don't get really into in the book is like kind of a feeling of betrayal from my body. And this, like I had had spinal surgery when I was a teenager and then I fractured a vertebrae, um, in my twenties before I did the AT and I just felt like I was at odds with my body all the time. Like I wasn't treating it right. It wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. Like we were enemies. Um, and I thought hiking, backpacking, it's just walking. I can do that. Like I can walk. I know that. (laughs) Um, and I thought if I just do this and force myself to like walk those miles, like it will, I will get in shape was kind of my, my goal. And now looking back at it, I can see that that like, wasn't the healthiest aspect to look at it. Like I, you know, I wanted to do this and like get thin. And that I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be thin. I'm going to be like muscled. I'm going to be like, my body will look the way I want it to look. And that's not really what happened. (laughs) Um, Surprise. Uh, That does happen for people I've heard. Um, But for me, not really. And, and it really was a lot more about just building a relationship of trust with my body that I knew in the morning when I got up, I could do the thing that I set out to do and I could count on my body um, to like have the energy if I did my part and took care of my body. And so that kind of reciprocal relationship um, was something that hiking really helped me to understand in a different way.
1: And you, you also seem to be struggling with that still when you were doing the wonderland trail um i'm oh, sorry go for it
0: no um yeah i mean it's definitely something that i don't know will ever like completely go away um yeah. i think now the thing that i struggle with and especially on the wonderland trail because that was before i found out about the heart condition was this idea that like i've put in all this work like why are things still hard for me um and i think there's two reasons for that. And like, one of them is like, things are just always going to be hard for me. But the other one is something I think everyone relates to, like, you put in all this work and then you do harder things and then you get better and then you do harder things. And so like the bar is always moving. And so things always feel hard because you're doing harder things. And so like, you know, back in the day before the AT, a two mile hike would have me like almost dead. And now I'm doing a, like a 20 mile hike, and I'm like, why is this so hard? <laughs> it should be easier. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, 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 like go do a two mile hike, like you'll be know, feeling like a million bucks. So that like we kind of subconsciously move the bar on ourselves, and sometimes don't even realize it. And so we're pushing ourselves to our limit, which we were doing before, but our limit's so much further. And we're still like, well, why am I still getting to this limit? I should be able to do anything forever and never be yeah. tired. <laughs> we have
1: horrible short-term or, or long-term, whatever, memories um, in so much as I know I used to personal train, uh, do be a personal trainer and had clients. Um, and a lot of them came to me with uh, you know having not exercised for a very long time. And, you know, have issues with squatting or, you know, some basic movements. And so we would work on them and we would work on them very incrementally, which I feel is sort of like what the AT is, you know, like you hike each day as an incremental piece of it, but we would get, you know, two years or whatever down the road and all of a sudden they're squatting like a champion and 50, you know, I'll, you know, one after the other and, and so forth. And it's, it's an interesting thing to take a moment and go, do you remember where we started? do you remember that moment uh, when you couldn't squat when, when doing one was a challenge for you? And they're like, "Yeah, I I don't really remember that. Like, (laughs) it's so fuzzy. I'm like that being able to do that comparison, I think is so important because it gives you perspective on where you've come but also on the fact that you can still go further if you do the same type of work, just the day in and day out work that you've been doing for the last two years.
0: Totally. Yeah. And that, I mean, yeah, my first day on the AT, I did seven miles. And before I got off the trail, I did my first 20 miler. And since then I've done other 20 mile day hikes and like to think back on myself. And one of the stories I tell in the book is actually about hiking Mount Whitney, um, which I did right before the AT. And it's a 22 mile round trip. And um, to this day, I would say that's the closest I've ever been to a big epic. Like things really could have gone wrong. (laughs) Um, I was by myself. I got benighted out there. I didn't know exactly where the trail was and there was no one else like everyone else had summited and left hours and hours before. And so I'm just like walking down Mount Wendy by myself in the dark. And I was dehydrated. I hadn't eaten anything all day cause I was nauseous. And it was, I mean, it was bad. Like I think back on that and I'm like, Oh, I'm lucky I didn't die that day. Um, and then, you know, that's 22 miles. And then this past summer I did a 20 mile day hiking Grand Teton with a good friend of mine. And I felt, so good after. I like did a dance in the parking lot at the end. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) I can't believe how good I feel, you know, and I like look back on those things and I and I look back on like the three and four mile day hikes that I had been taken on by other people before I ever got into hiking and how embarrassing they were and how difficult it was and how I felt like my heart was going to beat out of my chest and my face was bright red. And you know, I just think about all those feelings which I can still like viscerally feel when I remember those things. Um, and, and now like a three or four mile hike is no big deal, you know, but you do have to consciously remember, like go, Yeah. what did this used to feel like, you know? And it's the same thing with running too. Like I'm training right now for a 50 K, which I don't know why I'm doing that, but <laughs> I remember <laughs> like, I didn't run my first mile without stopping until I was 25 years old like in school and PE as a child, I never ran a mile without stopping. And so, you know, I like have that metric too. And it's like, I remember the day I ran my first mile without stopping and I felt like the king of the world. And now I'm like running a mile is like, you know, it's just something I do every day. So we have, you know, we have, furniture. yeah, it's like, (laughs) like, I'm just going to go do that real quick before I like make breakfast. So it's, It's that perspective of, and it's, it helps to have other people in the community to have these conversations with, to like, think about it and remember to remember, because Mm -hmm. we do kind of have this forward moving perspective most of the time saying like, what's next, what's next, what's next? Like, and also I'm not good enough. I need to get better. I need to always be progressing like, oh, so-and-so is doing whatever that I'm not doing. And it's really easy to do those comparisons. And I think in the outdoors world, there's, there's a lot of that because we're all out exploring and whether it's hiking or running, like someone is always doing something bigger, crazier, better than you are. Um, But like, unless you're a top athlete, like who cares? I don't really care (laughs) if someone's doing something bigger and better than me, unless they're my friend. And then I'm like, I want to come do that with you. Um, But like, You know, it doesn't really do. And I think that's something that's cool in the through hiking community is like there are very few, you know, quote unquote elite athletes through hiking. You know, we have our Scott Jurek and our Anish and, Mm -hmm. you know, these people who are out setting records. But like the sport of setting fastest known times on long trails is it's really niche and not something that people are out there doing all the time. So, it's not something that we have to like hold ourselves to some crazy ideal of, of what we should be doing. Most people are out there doing it for themselves and for a lot of reasons other than athletic prowess.
1: But even it's interesting because even a lot of the fastest known times things are done by people who are not professional athletes. They're they're people who yeah. want to push themselves. They're, they're, they they want to challenge what they can do, um, in some way specifically. But they're not a pro athlete. They're not a sponsored athlete. They're not a or some of them are sponsored in some ways. But they're not sure. You know, yeah, they're not an, totally. an athlete that is that has you know thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars thrown at them in order to do these crazy and amazing feats
0: totally and one of the things that inspired me when I was getting ready to do the at is was the year after Jennifer Jennifer Far Davis had set the record um and she came and spoke in Little Rock Arkansas when I was there and I went and listened to her talk and she you know before she went and did the fastest known time and I know Anish was the same way like they both, went and just hiked the trail like everybody else. And they, you know, they went out and they had the experience that I think a lot of us are looking for. And they really like found something out there. And that's what called them to go back and do like a time record, right? Mm -hmm. Like they just wanted to spend more time on the trail and to do something like more challenging since they had like done the thing already. And so I think that, that like you said like they're they weren't pro athletes they were just people looking for the same thing we were some like identity soul searching relationship with the community relationship with the trail and they they like felt called to do more of that and i think that's really beautiful
1: yeah it's also so inspiring because it makes you realize that if you are called to do that, if you feel that calling inside of you to do that thing, there's really nothing standing in your way, other than this, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, yeah. Um, which is which is unusual in a sport that is so extreme, so to speak. Um, yeah, you know, that extreme. Just kind of, ex- anybody could do it. You know. I mean. Yeah. It, Uh, Maybe I'm expanding this, but it seems extreme to me from my perspective on this side of things. um, Sure. You know, to say, I'm going to go five months, six months, even though I want to do it. uh, I'm going to go five, six months, and I'm going to live out of my backpack, and I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to build miles, and I'm going to, you know, maybe I'll do a 25, maybe I'll do a 30. You know, it's like like saying to you, I had this conversation with somebody 100 episodes ago or whatever, but... (laughs) Uh, you know, a lot of people end up getting to a point where they're doing a marathon a day or some something close to that. Yeah. it
0: That's extreme. <laughs> it's definitely, I mean, it's, yeah, extreme is a funny word because I think like X Games, skateboarding and like <laughs> stuff like yes, that. Yeah, ex- extreme um, makes it sound almost like it's
1: bad, which it's completely not. <laughs> it's just... Amazing and crazy, and like wow,
0: yeah, astounding. And I think for sure, yeah, I think for so many of us who've like done the time on trail and like day after day of hiking and hiking and nothing but hiking, it seems like it becomes almost mundane. It's like this Mm -hmm. very, like, yeah, I just went out there, I hiked all day, carried this backpack around, you know, like once you've done it, you're like, it's a thing I did for a long period of time. (laughs) And yeah, so people who haven't done it or even, I think when you get ingrained in the culture, you forget that there are people who don't know what through hiking is. And then you like talk to somebody and they're like, you did what? And it's kind of like being back at the beginning when I was planning and I was like, every person I met, I was like, I'm going to through hike the Appalachian Trail. And then it would be this like really sensationalized conversation about like how crazy and amazing that is because I also felt like it was crazy and amazing at the time. But then like when you get to the other side and then you have those conversations with people who don't know anything about through hiking, you forget like how amazing it is. And then you get to get all like jazzed about it when they're like, wow, where did you put your tent? Where did you go to the bathroom? Like what, how much food did you carry? You know, all the questions that you answered (laughs) a gajillion times before you started the trail and you're like, oh yeah, there's still people who are like that psyched about how crazy this is. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm going to circle back quickly to what we were talking about before about body image and, and Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of thing. Cause I think it's so important and it's particularly obviously important for women because I think it's a very common thing, honestly, unfortunately. Um, Yeah. And hiking can be a great way being out in nature, I think, but hiking can can be a great way To sort of help get right in your head, I feel like, about those things, because you're seeing your body, your strong body do things, do the things that you're asking it to do, which, as we just were saying, can be extreme. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So how, like for you, how did you start to reconcile those two things, you know, the struggle with your body versus my body, this amazing being this machine is doing these things that I'm asking it to do.
0: Yeah. I think one of the big things that I try to keep in mind now is that like the body is a machine and it, it is what you make it. Um, But I think also like looking at like genetics and things, like there are certain ways that your body is just always going to be. I have really wide hips and big legs. So did my mom. Like, that's just, it is part of my genetics. And I think one of the things that I try to remember is that like the joy and satisfaction that I get out of my body is based on what I do with it, not how it looks. Um, I think there was a period of time where even I had lost a little bit of weight and I was really active And I looked in the mirror and I was still like, my legs are still huge. Like, what do I have to do? And then finally I was like, you know, like that it just is what it is. Like my legs are always going to be big. And like, I've done all the things I can think of to do to try to make them smaller. But like, I'm so happy now with where my legs are taking me and how they feel when I do those things that like, I can look in the mirror and be like, those are my big legs which I walk around on all day and like they are serving me in the way that legs are meant to. And like, this is just what they look like. Um, And I think that like level of relationship with your body where it's like, you know, these are the things I'm asking of my body and maybe ask things of your body that aren't the way that it looks like ask your body to do not to look.
1: You have to give, you have to lay down the fight with that, with, with your body. Yeah. It, it was interesting, like, as you were talking, I was literally thinking, uh, probably sometime last week, on Instagram, there was a picture that came through, and it was a picture of a young girl who was looking in the mirror, and she was trying on some jeans or something like that, and they were tight, or they were too tight, and the, I, I'm going to bastardize this quote, but the quote from her was... Uh, not oh i need to get skinny or or you know i'm i'm too fat or whatever the quote from her this little girl this awesome little girl was my thighs and my butt are too powerful for these jeans and i was like
0: yes <laughs> oh my gosh that's so cute <laughs> yeah i well, can't and, contain it <laughs> you know i work part time um retail and so i talk to a lot of women about like their body types and their clothes and like how they want things to fit and I think it's something that we all just kind of need to accept that like different brands make clothes for different shapes of bodies. Not every brand is for you. And I think that like we, you know, especially with like trendy fashion and stuff for teenagers and things like there's brands that you're like, if I'm cool, I'm wearing this. And like that, it's just not realistic for your body. And even as a teenager, like when I was, you know, not eating. And I was so skinny. I still had really big hips. And so I couldn't wear the same jeans that everyone else was wearing. And I'm also 5'10". So I can't wear the same (laughs) pants that everyone else is wearing. And so I think, you know, it's one of those things like as you grow up and you really like get to know your body, you find the brands that work for you. And like, those are the things like, it's about how you feel and how you feel like you look and like how you want your clothes Mm -hmm. to fit. And, and you just have to find the company that's doing that. And the thing is like women's bodies are so different. The spectrum of women's shapes yes. is huge. And, and so I think that's something like you have to remember too, like, you know, as compared to men whose bodies have like a small range of fluctuation in terms of like hip to thigh ratio and stuff like that, I feel like women's range is just so much bigger. And so you are more likely than a man to not be able to find pants that fit because our bodies are just so different. And so, you know, it and there's oh gosh, the internet is amazing and you can like google, you know, <laughs> pants yeah. pants for women with big butts and like there are brands that specifically do that. And so, you know, I feel like we're we're coming into an age even especially compared to like my mom's generation who did not have the options or the information that we did in terms of clothes and fit and stuff that like the information's at her fingertips. You can join any Facebook, especially for outdoor stuff. Go join a women's hiking group on Facebook and ask what pants should I wear? This is what my body looks like. And you will have a hundred people like, and then you can look at their photo and be like, yeah, my body looks like her body. I'm gonna buy the pants she suggests. <laughs> I mean, you
1: make a really good point there that the the clothes fit so differently depending upon your body size and, and shape, um, that it can be hard to find something and and particularly considering like going into specifically the hiking area um, something that you're going to be wearing for a long time, but to find something that is comfortable in all of the areas and all of the ways that you need it to be comfortable. Um, Totally. You know, and particularly considering that once you've worn it for a long time, things will wear in different ways um, and it still has to be comfortable at that point.
0: Yeah, and especially I mean, on long trail hiking, when it's like this is what you're wearing every single day, like you get up and you put this on. It's the only thing. And so when I started the AT, I had I don't know what brand they were, but just a pair of like nylon hiking pants, um, and they were terrible, and I <laughs> I hated them, and I wore them until trail days, and then I, there was a bunch of vendors there, and I was like, oh, I just need like literally anything else, um, and got a different pair of pants, but of course I like ripped those day after trail day. Trail days. Honestly, one of those like curse. Um, but yeah, it's really easy to, you know, try something and it doesn't work for you and you think something's wrong with you when it's just like these pants suck. And like, and they don't suck for someone else. And that's fine too. Mm-hmm. But like you don't have to judge yourself based on like the fit of a clothing manufacturer. They didn't measure you to make these pants. Um, But I think we do kind of get those feelings where we like let, you know, it's not even like society. It's just like this pants maker get in our head, right? Like you're not good enough because these pants don't fit. Like those pants were made for you. So I think we, you know, as women especially, like we have so much input about what we should look like. Um, And I'm really excited about the movement that's taking on right now where companies are using models of different sizes and like really working with plus size um, customers to try to like get products that work for them rather than just making small pants bigger um, and, and really exploring the range of shapes. Um, that women come in and then also like there's just a lot more women-owned brands coming out in the in the outdoor industry which I think is really cool Um, because it does it takes that mentality of like we need to make a product that works for the consumer and not just force people to get this because it's the only thing there is and it's something I hear constantly from <laughs> women that come into my store. Right. And like, and I'll tell them straight up, like our pants, for women are a little bit slimmer. They're made in Europe. So they're like, we call it the European fit. Um, and so they just don't work for everybody. And like, that's cool, but I'm really tall and they fit me really well. So like that it's kind of funny that I've found something that works really well for me. And so I'm like, Oh, I know this isn't going to work for a lot of people because my body is weird. Right, I still like identify it as like I'm the weird person. Um, I'm. I guess I'm still internalizing that a little bit. But I like tried on these pants, and I was like, another hike out there. (laughs) I need to go hiking again, but in these pants because they fit perfectly. (laughs)
1: Actually, that's been that's been one of the funnest parts of pandemic. I I have not worn a pair of jeans since last February potentially.
0: (laughs) Nice. I, haven't, I've, I have not I've. one pair of jeans that I keep in the closet um, in case I have an, a jeans occasion, um, but honestly have hardly worn them in like five or six years. And my boyfriend who I've been with for a year and a half, I think has seen them one time and I like put them on and he was like, oh my God, do you have real pants? <laughs> I was like, yes. Don't tell anyone.
1: <laughs> it's a secret.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause if I'm not in my leggings, I'm wearing climbing pants. Like those are kind of my two
1: votes. I love it. Yeah. I want to switch over to the Wonderland Trail. Okay. Um, Change topic. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I, and I know that this was not necessarily the original approach that you were going to have to the Wonderland Trail, but personally the way that it ended up planning out and the short days and the (sighs) opportunity to really, to me, savor the days of hiking around it and making it it? like 12 days to to do Mm -hmm. it. Um, I was reading that. And as I'm going through it, I'm like, Oh my God, this is how I would want to do that trail. Like really soak into it, like really savor it as opposed to try to eat the meal as fast as possible, so to speak.
0: Totally. Um, yeah, the Wonderland Trail is only 93 miles, so most of your listeners would think that's pretty short, <laughs> um, and it is, and people do it in, like, six days, which is, like, a 15-mile-per-day trip. Um, I would say, from what I read, most people do it in nine or ten days, which is, like, nine miles a day, um, but, you know, I met people out there who are doing it in six Um, I think I was the only person doing it in 12 but there was definitely some like 10 11s Um, and then there's the trail runners who are out there doing it at three and right and they also look like they were having a great time but I I really loved that savoring aspect and I really I did plan to do it that way when I got my permit I said can I just be out as long as possible and like stop everywhere. And the, the girl kind of rolled her eyes at me, but she's like, okay, so <laughs> I did that. Um and then I was really fortunate too in the first couple of days to run into somebody who had the same schedule as me for a day and was just one of those people that stops and like lollygags all day long. Um, because that's not my style. I'm really slow hiking. And so I feel the sense of urgency that I have to like like don't stop because you won't make it on time and I don't like to be out after dark. So like come on, let's do the thing. Uh, and so I was hiking with him for a day and we stopped, there was a lake, like a mile from where we left. And he was like, let's take our shoes off and like play around and eat snacks and do stuff. And I'm like, I can only hiked one mile, (laughs) but I, I did. And it was so nice. It was just an experience I haven't like kind of made myself have, and I really enjoyed it and it was nice because that was also my longest day of hiking it was like 14 miles and so we like stopped there and then there was another lake and we stopped again and so we kind of just had this like really leisurely day and then we totally still got where we were going on time (laughs) and I was just like how I don't how did that happen (laughs) yeah it really blew my mind I was like this is great um But yeah, I mean, I had a day where I only hiked two miles, um, several like four, five, six mile days. And so I was able to really like stop at every river crossing and like put my feet in and like, you know, splash myself. It was really hot. So I was like splashing myself with water and, and, you know, I wasn't taking photos because my phone died, but I was just like watching marmots play. And, and I was making a point to socialize and like talk to people that I met and, and kind of hear their stories and share my story. And and I was really grateful to do it the way I did it. I will say the last day I hiked straight through my last day. Like I didn't camp the last night and I just hiked my last two days in one because it rained the day before. And I was like, I'm just ready to be done. (laughs) So that like by the end of 11 days, I was like, okay, 11 days is fine. I'll just (laughs) finish.
1: But it's nice to... To get to a point where you have that option, where you're, okay, I'm ready to be done as opposed to, oh my God, I need to be out here longer. I want to stay longer type of thing. Totally.
0: Yeah. And there were points during the trail, I think I say in the book, like, I could just hike this in circles and never leave. Yeah. (laughs) Like the Wonderland Trail is so beautiful. Um, And I'd love to tell, I have just like a short story about how I decided to do the trail. Please. Um, I had been spending time in Portland for a while. And I had a friend who was going to go to Seattle and she called me and said, Hey, come meet me at Mount Rainier. Like we'll go do a day hike or something. And so I was going to drive up and I thought to myself, Mount Rainier, like I didn't know anything about Mount Rainier. And I was like, it's a whole national park, with just one mountain. That sounds kind of (laughs) dumb. That's how so, we do it in uh, in the West Coast. Yeah, well, I had lived in Yosemite for a period of time before that. And I think Yosemite was my first national park experience. And I mm-hmm. think that kind of like ruined me a little bit for other national parks. So now every park I go to is either like as good as Yosemite or not. And so when I was like, you know, she's like, come to Mount Rainier. And I was like, it's probably not as good as Yosemite. And so I drove up and like saw the Mount. And I was just like, it's so beautiful. And it's like fields. If you go at the right time, it's meadows full of wildflowers, which like, I can't think of anything better. So I was like in heaven and it was just a couple of days later that I went to hike the Wonderland trail. So I like went to do this day hike and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this now.
1: You stuck around. So, yeah. Oh, well, so beautiful. And, and that actually speaks to another question that I wanted to touch base with you on and or to speak out loud in the podcast, which is for the camping on the Wonderland Trail, you have to have, it's fully permitted. So you had to, like when you set it up and part of the reason that uh, you were doing maybe two two miles one day or 14 miles another day was because of where you could get permits on any given day to camp
0: or to stay basically, right? Correct. So the Wonderland Trail has... 18, somewhere in that range of um, campsites around the trail. And it's in a circle. Um, and there's like three main areas where you can start hiking from. And then there's a couple like lesser knowns, but that you can't leave a car park there. So if you're by yourself, that's pretty. Um, But the permitting system is on a lottery. And from what I understand, the lottery is really difficult like there's a ton of people trying to get in the lottery and I met people on the trail who said they had entered the lottery six, seven, eight times before they got their permit um, but they reserve one-third of the campsites for walk-ups and so if you yeah so if you have the freedom and scheduling to take two plus weeks off of work, drive to Mount Rainier and then just show up first thing in the morning they only do the walk ups one day out at a time so you can either walk up and start the day you get there or you can walk up and start the next day based on availability okay and if you have like pretty decent flexibility about how many miles you want to hike a day and like what direction on the trail you want to go where you want to start um, they can usually get you in in a day or two um, because not that many people walk up because it's it is a gamble and you know you're you have to have the time off mm-hmm. to go and show up and then maybe get it, maybe not. Um, But I got mine the first day. Right. And, and
1: she, the ranger literally helped you like, okay, we could do this. We could do this. It's two miles today. It's five miles tomorrow. It's, you know, all the way around.
0: Yeah. So she had a system, like the computer system that tells Mm -hmm. her like what's booked and what's not. And she was like, well, this is free. Like, how's that? How's this? How's that? And I mean, I was pretty much like, whatever. (laughs) 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 I'm here. I want to do the thing. Like I'm pretty flexible. Please don't make me hike a 20 mile day. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, and, and I'm trying to remember like where you were staying at any given site or where you were camping at any given site, there could be different sites within the area itself. And it felt like you were choosing sites as opposed to you had been assigned to specific sites. Correct. Or is that for the okay. most
0: for the most part okay. um, the sites all have different or the the camps all have different numbers of sites and so like sometimes you show up and there's only two spaces and you just pick between the two um, some of the bigger ones have a group spot a group spot that's supposed to fit like up to 12 people and in one and like those are always assigned the group site either you're assigned to a group site or an individual site so if you're an individual you just pick and if you're a group then you have to go to the group. Um, and in one of the campsites, I was assigned to the group site because it was the only one left. Mm -hmm. And it was just like me in my tiny tent. Um, and people (laughs) were a little annoyed with you. (laughs) There was a group that was up above me that had five people, and the individual sites I think are supposed to fit up to six. So if you have less than six, they'll put you in an individual site, but some of them are really small. Um, and I got there early that day and I set up my tent in the group site because that's where I was assigned. And then this woman from uh, one of the individual sites came down and she was like, why are you in this big campsite all by yourself? And honestly, I was like, if she had said, hey, can one of us come set up a tent down here? I would have been totally fine with it. But she was like really catty about it. And I was like, I don't know. They told me to be here. So I'm here. Like, I don't know what you want me to tell you. <laughs> I'm like, I'm happy. You know, it is a huge spot. I don't need this much space. Mm-hmm. Um but I also like want to follow my permit and be where I was told to be. So yeah, not that everyone is doing that.
1: Well, and it's so interesting. I mean, going back to the woman <laughs> being catty, like, like you say, if she had literally come down and gone, Oh, you got this group site to yourself. I mean, we're fitting six people back here. Do you mind yeah. if we, as opposed to, you know, taking the attitude of you're doing something wrong, you're being a land grabber and <laughs> whatever
0: (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah well i think also like that the one of the reasons i tell the story in the book is because it was like my second day on trail i had come out to the wonderland trail because i was dealing with these feelings of aloneness and like like really kind of feeling adrift and and lonely in the world and i thought i'm gonna go on the trail the community will be there like and also i'll just be able to spend some productive time alone thinking about whatever um and so, you know, first thing this woman comes up to me is like, why are you alone? Why are you in this space? Like why are you, you know? And I was like, I don't know. These are all the questions I've been asking myself. I'm <laughs> having an existential crisis right now and then you're like in my face about it. And so, it's one of those things that like when any I feel like the universe always is here, right? Knocking on our door. And so, I'm dealing with these issues in myself, here comes some woman I don't know like ready to pile on the exact same issues I'm already dealing with. And I was just like, I'm sorry. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I was out there like, I'm sad and alone. I would have been totally happy to be friends with these people, but instead they were just like. (laughs)
1: Yeah, they were, they took the wrong attitude. (laughs) Yeah. To it. Um, So. It's so interesting because you, as you were just saying, like, you were having an existential crisis about being alone and and wondering if you were always going to be alone. And what were you doing wrong? And I mean, all of the things that go along with that internal conversation. Um, and you get on the Wonderland Trail. And it's sort of like that. It's sort of like you have the moments where it's like the universe is putting it in your face. And then you also have the other side of that coin, which is the universe kind of providing these moments of great connection of, of um, camaraderie for you. How, Definitely. How did that help or hinder the processing that you were doing? <laughs>
0: um, It was a little bit of like, I think... As a young woman, I was told, like, be independent, be strong, take care of yourself, never rely on a man, blah, blah, blah. Um, And I think a lot of us, you know, of my generation, and I'm sure that this has, like, repeated cyclically in other generations, is, like, like we have this, like, I am woman, like, I'm going to go do the independence thing. Um, and a lot of us take that to this like extreme level of like, I'm going to do everything alone and I'm never going to rely on anyone. I'm never going to ask anyone for anything. And, you know, many of us come to the realization that that just like, isn't, it's not functional, but it's also not healthy. Um, and that we are much stronger people when we are in community and in relationship. And so when I got out there I think I was looking for two things. And one was the hiking community, which I knew would be there. But also I was like looking for confirmation that like being alone is good. And so I went out there and I'm like, okay, when I hiked the AT, it was about like learning I could do things for myself and like being independent and like being alone. And then I was like, I'm going to go get those things again. I've like lost them, right? Like I had them after the at and then somewhere along the way i i lost them and now i'm just like sad and lonely <laughs> and so i was like i'm going to go back out on the wonderland trail i'm going to do the thing alone like i did before and it's going to i'm going to like reprove that i'm like a strong independent woman and and what i really got was like the realization that like that thing that i was holding up was like not of the value that i thought that it was And so, and also that like the way that we relate to the world is based on other people. And so for me to say, I'm a strong, independent woman and I'm a hiker, like I'm, I'm a hiker and that's a community that I belong to. And so for me to say that I'm a hiker means I am in relationship with all of these other people who do this thing. And so like, you can't be a hiker and not be part of that community. And you can't be a runner and you can't be a climber and you can't be a backpacker with that. Like none of those things mean anything if there aren't other people doing them too. So, huh. like, yeah. like and, and even to say like, I'm a strong, independent woman and I'm doing things alone, like you are still defining your identity in relationship to other people. You're saying, I am, I am separate from all of those people. Like that wouldn't mean anything if it weren't for all those people (laughs) that you're saying you're not with. So it's like, you can't devalue that. Like you can't take away everyone else and be like, I'm just me doing my thing. Like it doesn't mean anything without the other people who make you who you are. So I think like that is really what I came off the trail with was this idea that like there are people in this world who love and care about me that I consider family. And then there are people in this world who are my family because of the communities that I walk in and like going off on my own and like acting like I don't need any of them or that they aren't part of my identity is just a lie. Like, it's just not true, you know? And like, would I, would I, Christine be able to go back the Wonderland trail, like truly on my own? No, like I'm not, I'm not, I mean, th- Yes, there are people who are that rugged, who are, like, out in the Alaska and wilderness, like, wandering alone. But, like, I'm following a designated trail. I'm there with other people. I'm in a national park. Like, I'm safe because there are rangers here. Like, all of those things are part of what I'm doing. And, like, even if I don't interact with them, which I did, like, they're still there. They're still part of the experience. Somebody built that trail.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, because I feel like part of the reason that people, women, go out on the trail is to prove their independence or to prove their, they are strong and independent. Um, but it's funny because on the other side of that is the reality that, I don't know about you, but it's really hard for me so to accept help from somebody. And to just say, thank you for the assistance, as opposed to, no, no, I, I got it. I'm good. I'm fine. I can take care of it, you know, and all of the things that we say along with that. Um, and that's all kind of part of that same conversation. I was literally just last night having a conversation with 11, uh, Meredith Johnson, and, and we were talking about that, you know, the struggle between letting somebody help you versus no, no, I'm strong and independent.
0: Yeah. Um, well, and I like faced that a little bit on the Wonderland trail. Cause I had run into someone who I knew from Yosemite who worked in Mount Rainier and she was like, Hey, do you want to take a shower? And I was like, no, like my gut reaction was just to say no. And I'm like, I have been walking for nine days and washing my clothes in the river, like splashing my armpits with glacial river runoff <laughs> to, filled with dirt and grit. And I'm like, yeah, actually I really do want to shower. But like my first reaction was to be like, no, I'm cool. I'm out here doing this thing. Like it's fine. (laughs) How how long did it take
1: you to go? Oh, well, no, wait a second. Let me check myself. Yeah. I would love that shower.
0: (laughs) It was like a, a two second, you know, like I like caught myself in the act of almost saying no. And then I was just like, why would I say no to that? Like Who am I? (laughs) Are you crazy? But I also, like, I had been living in a van for almost a year at that point. And so, like, I had gotten really used to not showering all the time and, like, kind of just figuring it out as I go along and, like, you know, doing whatever. But, like, the kindness of strangers in that journey, like, I had absolutely accepted showers from people and, like, you know, a place to park or you know whatever the thing was that I needed and and help on the side of the road when I got broken down and you know I the the van journey was definitely a part of my learning to accept people's offers but I feel like even from a small like young age I if I go to someone's house and they offer me a drink I'm like no no and I'm like actually, a lot of people think that's rude for you to say no when they offer you something. But to me, it's like, I don't want to be an inconvenience. I don't like, I don't need anything from you. So like I shouldn't take it because then I might owe you something. And that like, there's this like weird reciprocal, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I blame capitalism for this that we think (laughs) like anytime someone gives us something, now we owe them something. It's a trade. And I'm like, sometimes people are just like nice. And you taking a glass of water from them is not inconveniencing them. Really? So, yeah, this mindset that, like, you can accept things from people and also, like, you don't owe them something because of it. And, like, not to, this is, like, tangential, but I feel like, like, we also, as women, kind of get this, like, oh, you go out to bars, men buy you drinks, now you owe them something, right? Like, we have this, like, idea in our head that we want to, like, not accept things from people because then they're going to try and, like, hold it against us or get something out of us. Well, so I think that like leaks over.
1: Yeah. Oh, 100%. And it's so interesting that you say that because that, that concept I'm calling a uh, social contract, a social contract. And again, tangential, I'm trying to think of how to make a short film around that concept, mm-hmm. like highlighting that concept. I haven't figured it out yet, but that is a big concept that I'm playing with right now uh, in terms of, telling the story or, or highlighting the story, so to speak.
0: I'm very interested in that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So am I I, along with a couple of other, a couple of other subjects, but that is such an interesting thing and particularly sort of diving back into the trail part of it. um, Because so much of being on the trail, whether you're talking about something that is as short as the wonderland trail, or as long as the Appalachian trail, you're very much relying on the kindness of strangers, whether it's about hitchhiking, whether it's trail magic, whether it's trail angels, whether it's, you know, being in on the Appalachian, being in a shelter, it's full. And you're like, ah, can you squeeze one more? And everybody kind of shuffles and and lets you in. Um, You, you can't do those trails without some of that. And without getting to the point where you can, at least accepted, or or I don't even know what the right word is. Um, feel deserving. <laughs> that's a perfect word. That's that's a perfect
0: way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think uh, alongside the not wanting to feel like you owe someone something is also this idea that like you haven't done anything to deserve whatever it is that's being offered to you. Um, and and I think that something that like i don't know that the the trail life can break you out of that but it definitely changes your perspective on it that like there really are people who like took their day to come out here and serve chili to Jesus because <laughs> yeah. they wanted to because that's what they wanted to do with their day um and there's something like i think a lot of people say when they come off long trails that like it will restore your faith in humanity like there's mm-hmm. there's a, a side of people that you see in those communities that you don't necessarily see all the time, and and I feel like most people who've done long trail hiking have had some story of someone doing something really kind for them that was like unexpected, and and it changed their day, or it changed their hike, or you know however big the the effect was. And for me, like that was the day my mom died on the AT. Miss Janet and a group of trail angels were there serving chili, and she drove me to the Atlanta airport. Like I had gotten the message from my dad and, and I was like, is anyone like, can anyone here drive me? There were several people with cars and she, she drove me from, oh, uh, I can't remember now, um, Gooch Gap. Okay. Okay. She drove me from Gooch Gap to the Atlanta airport. And, you know, if they hadn't been there doing trail magic, I would have had to like either try to hitchhike from Gooch Gap, which is not like a road that you <laughs> see cars on. Um, or I would have had to just keep hiking until I found a way out. And, and for me, that ability to just like at the drop of a hat, like, okay, I'm headed home, um, was really, it was big and it meant a lot to me.
1: That, that they, that they were there and were able to facilitate what you needed to do at that moment.
0: Yeah. And it was one of those, like, you know, the trail provides kind of moments where it's like, oh, I just happen to be here. They just happen to be here. Um, And out of the kindness of their heart, like, you know, she's going to drive me two and a half hours, which is not where she was planning on going that day.
1: Yeah. It is so funny to me that, I mean, there are so many cliche terms around the trail, like the trail provides. Yeah. And yet the reality is, is that that is completely based in, the ex- people's experiences of the trail, like the trail does provide in strange and crazy ways, um, but you know, it can be getting you to the Atlanta airport. It can be you know you're on your last bar, and all of a sudden, some on the trail is somebody's dropped a bar, and you know you're saved for the last five miles of your hike that day, or whatever it is. Yeah, it's it's very it's such a very interesting um, dichotomy of of the universe working, so to speak.
0: Yeah, when I think it's funny, I think one of the reasons that trail books are really popular and also relatable to people who don't hike is because the trail is an allegory for real life. And <laughs> yeah. like we all, you know, we all have these experiences in life too, but we, we see them differently on the trail because we're in this microcosm of like not living our standard day-to-day life that everything has like greater significance, right? Cause we're like in this kind of attuned environment where everything is happening at know, it's just like a different pace. Like we we experience things mm-hmm. differently cause we're out there. And I think it's interesting to look at, I guess like the challenges people have when they come off trail and then go back into the real world because we feel like everything's so fast paced and everyone's going a thousand different directions and, and what's the point? And like, wh- you know, why are we like buzzing around trying to get all these things done? And it's interesting to think about like, what if real life were more like the trail where everyone was kind of like working toward the same goal? Um, And if you think like, if everyone in the world was working towards the same goal, even if it was something as simple as like self-improvement or like we're all just working at like becoming our best selves, then we would all be kind of flowing in the same direction, right? Um, And then we would have more of these serendipitous experiences because we would all be open to it in a way mm-hmm. that I think we're not in the real world on some level and when you hang out with people who are like on that right mind we're all kind of moving towards our best selves like you have a lot more of these trail-like experiences um and the universe does provide because <laughs> I think that's something right everyone on the trail is working in some way to like find their best self Like yeah at the very base level of it, you can simplify it down to that. Like everyone's seeking um, and we're all moving north, right? Mm -hmm. So we're all kind of like, the energy is cohesive for everyone to be helping each other out. There's always gonna be this like kindness of spirit um, because we're all seeking. And Mm -hmm. I think in in our day-to-day lives, we interact with a lot of people who are not seeking anything and they're just kind of existing. And they're like roadblocks to the flow (laughs) like where, you know, those of us that are seeking are all moving in one direction. And then there's just all these other people kind of like landmines, like in the path just Mm -hmm. existing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Which is, which is then again, what throws people onto the trail, either they're they're seeking to refine that flow or they're seeking to find it in the first place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was definitely a landmine. Before before the (laughs) AT, I was like in people's way, messing stuff up.
1: (laughs) What did that like? What was that moment of realization for you that you were the landmine or a landmine or, uh, or breaking the flow, so to
0: speak? Um, without getting like super dark about it, um, I I had a really unhealthy relationship with alcohol, um it was, I was like a college party girl. I went to bars a lot and, um, I was just kind of like running through acquaintances in a way. Like I would meet people and be like, oh, this person's cool. And then I would like drunkenly do something horrible or stupid. And then I would never see them again. And like, you you know, I just, um, I was a difficult person to be around. And I have a very loud personality even now. um, And I have a lot of opinions. And when I was drinking all the time, I was really not like focusing that energy toward anything productive. And so I was just one of those people that's like, "Ah, wow, loud and in your face. Um, And that's fun for like, (laughs) a minute um you know and I would meet people and they'd be like you're fun and then like a few days later they'd be like you're kind of mean or like like, it's not fun anymore you know and so I got to a point and and I wouldn't say that there was like a one day experience that I was like oh I have to change my life but it just kind of built layer on top of layer of I got really tired of having to apologize to people um and for wondering like am i a bad person um because i felt like i was just kind of bumbling through the world hurting people and being terrible and it got to a point where i was like waking up hungover over and over again like trying to remember what Whatever. i did what i did that i was going to have to apologize for and yeah i just i i guess i just reached a breaking point of like I think I could live differently than this. I think that was the, the realization was just that like, this isn't working for me. And like, there is something else. Like I didn't know what it was, but I was sure it was something. Like how, I could be a better. How far after that was the trail? Um, I really kind of quit drinking Within the year that I got on the trail. Okay. Um, so I had already decided I was gonna hike the AT before I really kind of quit drinking. Um, and then I don't identify as an alcoholic, so I don't use terms like relapse. Um, but I did still drink occasionally between those times. Um, but every time I did. I just had this feeling of like, I don't really know why I'm doing this. Like it's not productive. <laughs> um, and so it's, you know, they got, it just got further and further apart where I would just not drink for longer periods of time. Um, and then by the time I got on the trail, I think one time on the trail, a bunch of people went to like a Mexican restaurant and I ordered a margarita cause I was like, Oh, it's hot out a margarita. That sounds so good and and i had been a big margarita drinker before so it was just like that sounds like refreshing and fun um and i remember like drinking it and just being like this is like not even good i'm going to feel bad when i hike tomorrow like this is not productive <laughs> it's just like all bad um yeah so i think that it was it was a slow progression it wasn't like i like quit cold turkey and like never drank mm-hmm. again um right but it's an evolution definitely yeah
1: which is sort of like the evolution to becoming a through hiker or the evolution to doing the van life, you know, and, and the way that you're describing it in the book, and I know that you're, or I shouldn't say, I know, I feel like you're seeing like those three, like the three trails, cause obviously you've connected them in your book as well. Um, it's such a journey that the, sorry, the two trails and the van life thing are such a journey for you in terms of coming to the other side of the person that you wanted to become.
0: Um, Yeah, I think sometimes we don't think about our, like the person we want to be as this like other person. Um, But when you go through a really big change where you're like the person like, from this side, I can look back at the person that I was and say, like, that's a totally other person. Like, that person doesn't even know me. Like, we, we're separate. <laughs> um, we are in different groups. So <laughs> yeah. And so I think, like, when you, even if you are at a point in your life where you're saying, like, I need a big change. Like I said, when I decided to do the AT, I didn't know, like, where I wanted to end up. I just knew I wanted to not be where I was. And so for me, the first thing I found was the AT. And I was like, oh, that's good. That'll change who I am. And I didn't know who I'd come out the other side as. And so when I got there, I was like, is this where I want to be? Like, do I just go back to my job now? Or like, what do I do now? And so you kind of then now are on this like evolutionary, like, okay, I've changed from who I was. And I hiked this trail and like that changed how I see the world. And now I'm a hiker, but like now am I, is hiking all I do or do I go find other things or like, it's kind of this constant seeking process of what else can I do that will give me the feeling that that did, or will allow me to explore something new that I haven't done yet. And so, you know, van life kind of became this, second Appalachian Trail where I was like, okay, like this is a new journey. It's a new opportunity for me to discover something else about the world and something else about myself. And I knew other people who were doing it because I had gotten into the climbing community and it's really popular in that. Um, And it's also pretty popular with through hikers. I've met (laughs) A lot of people, because it, because it is this like alternative lifestyle where it's like, I'm going to kind of do my own thing. It's like separate from the rest of society. And there is a simplicity, like I was talking about on the trail where it's like, you get up, you walk, eat, you go to bed. And with van life there, everything is so small and condensed that like all of your little routines for the day become like bigger. And so if you're going to like cook, it's the same thing, right? You have one pot and you're going to like cook and then you have to wash it and then put it back in its place. And like everything has its place, just like with your backpack where you're like, this goes here and that goes here. And if it gets messed up, nothing works. And so (laughs) you have to like do all the same little routines that you do. Like we thrive on routine, um, that you do when you're backpacking, like that all applies to van life too. So I think there's like a sense of familiarity for through hikers, like men live in a van. (laughs) Um, but also it's like the people you interact with when you live in a van are other people who are into the same things you're into. Um, but yeah, I think that that journey of like, once you kind of turn your lights on and say, I'm not happy, like just existing and being a landmine, then you never can stop moving after that. Like you have to always be moving forward. Otherwise you become a landmine again.
1: Well, and I love that you say that or said that because i think it's interesting the trail just being one manifestation of it but i feel like a lot of times people think that they'll do this thing whether it's hike the trail or or something else they'll do this thing they'll get to the other side of it and there will be this transformation and it will be done and i will now go on with my new life whatever that is um as opposed to the fact that it's an actual evolution, that there are so many layers of things to uncover and to think about and to transform yourself through, and that each new experience, going from the Appalachian Trail to van life to the Wonderland Trail to and climbing in there and, and working at Yosemite and that kind of stuff, all of those things are the continuing evolution of somebody that you're finding, you know? It's not a, it's not an
0: end point that you stop at. No. And I think that's something too, that I was getting a little jammed up with when I was in the van life phase was I kept thinking I was going to find a place that felt like home to me. And I was like on this, I'm going to like travel and figure out where I'm supposed to be. And that was like this question that kept coming up to me, like, where should I be? Where should I be? And I had this fan and I was like, I could be anywhere. So I should like go somewhere really cool and like do cool <laughs> stuff. And so I had this idea that I was going to like show up somewhere and be like, aha, I found the thing. And it turns out that isn't, real like it just doesn't and I think that's true of your inner journey too right like Mm -hmm. I will never reach a point where I'm like aha I'm done like I've figured myself out I know who I am I'm like whole now it's just not it's not gonna happen like I I've been a backpacker I've been a runner a climber a van life person I'm an author now like am I done no, like, I'm just going to still like the next thing is the next thing. And maybe it's another book or another trail or another van, but it's still, it's never done. The adventure awaits. Yeah. <laughs> to, to be continued. <laughs>
1: exactly. Which is kind of the funnest part.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. And once you get that mindset of like, okay, things are always changing, always evolving. I'm not a stick in the mud. Like, then you can look forward to those things without this anticipation of like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Like there's, you know, that fear, the anxiety, all of those things that we experience that I think lead us into experiences like this. Like you kind of get to let some of that go.
1: Yeah the The analogy, it's so funny, the analogy that was that was uh, running through my head when you were saying that, um, it's so apropos to to hiking or backpacking, which was,, uh, you're not a tree. you can leave.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you are not yeah, planted and- <laughs> there.
0: And I think that's one of those great things that like the, the trail is an allegory for real life. Like every day you get up, you move forward, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and every once in a while you don't move forward and you just sit there for a day and like, that's okay too. But on the grand scheme of things, like you want to always have some idea in what direction you're headed. You don't need to know where you're going to eat dinner or where you're going to sleep, but just which way are you going is really the question. Yeah.
1: You got to keep moving forward. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that we should? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs>
0: uh, I don't think so. Oh, I know
1: one I... quick question for you. Okay. If you don't mind, if unless you have something. No. Your trail name. <laughs> Lady Unicorn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How, what, where, when, who?
0: Um, so it's kind of a funny story, I guess. I, my name is Christine. Um, as a child, I was not allowed to go by nicknames. My mom was very adamant that my name was Christine and not Chris or Chrissy or Christy or any (laughs) other form. Right. So I have like a little bit of a complex about nicknames. (laughs) And so when I researched the AT, and I was like, okay, trail names are a thing, like people are going to give us nicknames. And I was like, really nervous about it. And I was like, oh, what if somebody tries to give me some horrible nickname, like cheez or something? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like, I, I think the food names are kind of silly. And like, I just like had a lot in my mind about like food like nervousness about getting a nickname. And so, and then when my mom died and then I was like not being very social on the trail, I managed to kind of like slide by without getting one for a while because I wasn't hanging out with anyone long enough for them to like feel like we were buddies enough for them to give me a name. And so it was probably a good like six weeks in um, and I didn't have a name and finally a girl I'd been hiking with for a little bit was like why don't you have a trail name and she was like really like why and I was like I don't know And she was like well we're giving you one and I was like okay and so she was like what do you like and I was like oh this feels so silly and I was like I don't know and I was just like like unicorns like I've loved unicorns since I was a little girl I have a unicorn tattoo I was like it's kind of the only thing that seems appropriate and she was like okay um do you want to be unicorn girl and I was like no. <laughs> i like, please, please. no. <laughs> and she was like, have you ever seen The Last Unicorn? It's a movie from like the 80s, I think. And I was like, yes. I used to watch the movie all the time as a kid. And she was like, you should be Lady Amalthea, who is the, the last unicorn. And she gets turned into a woman. Um, and I was like, okay, that I like. It's vague. It's not like unicorn girl. Um, and so I was like, I can go with that. So for a few days I was Lady Amalthea, but That's every a time fault. I told somebody, yes, nobody could remember it <laughs> or pronounce it. And so then someone started calling me Lady A and I was like, I'm not okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, okay, so I'm like brainstorming with this person now. And I was like, what about this? What about that? And then he was like, what about Lady Unicorn? And I was like, that I can do. I can do Lady Unicorn. Like it's kind of fancy sounding like I'm you know a lady <laughs> so that's how that came to be but people still get it wrong I got called lady uniform <laughs> time, and I was like no <laughs> why
1: would you ever think that that would be the case I would, uh,
0: <laughs> if that was someone's name I would have a lot of questions too I get it <laughs> So that, yeah, so that's the story. Um, But one thing I do kind of like to talk about, um, and I mentioned in the book, is the culture around the nicknames and how, like, you're all seeking and looking for our new identity. And then we go out there and, like, boom, you get labeled with a new identity. And, like, there's something really nice. And, like, it gives you an element of separation your past life that you're like I get to be this whole new person now I don't even have to like identify with my old name or self for this whole time that I'm out here and that I think our names have a lot to do with who we are and they like we definitely are affected in life by what people call us and so um when I got back on the wonderland trail I hadn't I have one friend from the AT who calls me lady Unicorn when she speaks to me still which I think is very funny. And she calls me Lady Unicorn to her friends. Like, she'll be like, oh, my friend Lady Unicorn is coming and we're going to go to this <laughs> hike. And I'm like, do your friends all think you're crazy? <laughs> um, but nobody else ever calls me that anymore. And so on the Wonderland Trail, when I wrote in the trail logs, it was really fun to like, think of myself as lady unicorn again, cause it had been so long since I had done that. And even though I didn't like tell people that was my name on the wonderland trail, cause there's not trail name culture, um, out there. I still like in the journal got to like write myself that way. And like, I got to feel myself that way again.
1: Lady unicorn was here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so I did have a little bit of a cult following on the AT, um, because I wrote, uh, very specific styled in the journal. And so everyone behind me and I put stickers in by my name. So everyone with, behind me was kind of like reading along. And then when they would meet me, they'd be like, oh, you're Lady Unicorn. I've been reading you. So, <laughs> so, so just you getting an to like, author since way back. <laughs> I was a little bit of an author on the AT. Um, so yeah, I got to do that. Oh, like I got to, it was just like revisiting that old part of myself that I hadn't had in a while when I was on the and your luxury items were stickers they were yeah those little foil star stickers like you use at like a garage sale (laughs) that I used to get in fourth and fifth grade on my papers great job Yep, yep. and you buy them in like a 400 packet staples Uh uh-huh yep Yep. that was it
1: (laughs) where can people find you if they want to follow your continuing adventures get the book or ask you questions
0: So I'm on Instagram as my main social media is Rugged Outdoors Woman. And then the website for the book is aloneinwonderland.com. I have a contact form on the website, so you can email me from there if you want, or you can reach out to me on Instagram. Um, I'm going to hold up the one and only print copy of the book.
1: (laughs) When is the publishing coming?
0: um, The publishing is actually, the printing is happening right now. Um, by the time that this airs, I should have a pallet of books at my house. Sweet. Um, okay. Yes. So they're supposed to arrive to me around the 20th and then I will start shipping them out. So uh, you can order online. Um. Please talk to me on Instagram. I love talking to people about hiking, about van life, about anything, your philosophy on capitalism. I'm here for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I'm very accessible. <laughs>
1: what, like when you think of the trails now, either trail, what is the memory that comes to mind kind of first, or what is that? What is that? I shouldn't even just say memory. I should say the best memory or a
0: highlight for you of those trails. Okay. Um, the Wonderland trail, I would say Emerald Ridge, Um, the hike up to Emerald Ridge is really, really steep and horrible. And it was probably the hardest like ascent of my hike. And I was by myself hiking and sweating and dying and wondering why I was out there. And then I got to the top and it opens up into just like this epic view And Mount Rainier is right there. And then it's like meadows with wildflowers and there were marmots frolicking. And you know how marmots are always like, Posing for a photo, and so they were like running and then stopping and looking regal. And it was just one of those moments where I like got up to the top, and I was like, "Oh, like this is why I'm here." And also, I never want to leave. And why isn't everyone here? How how is there so few people out here? Um, It's just definitely like a kind of marveling at the wonder of like the things that are accessible to us, and like how we take it for granted a little bit you know so many people never go and then you get out there and you're like I like how I don't understand how there's not other people here um that's definitely one of the memories that would stick with me forever from the Wonderland Trail and then from the AT (sighs) I think the community on the AT is probably my biggest like takeaway I you know I've hiked so many beautiful places and the AT is really lovely but it kind of lacks that like epic you know never-ending views of mountains like it's it's not that it's something different and it's beautiful in its own way and like jungly and you know the scenery is really lovely but it's not something that I'm like gonna cherish for the rest of my life um But the the community really is and and the trail towns and the community around the town. And oh, like probably one of my favorite stories was hitchhiking and getting picked up by this family that was on their way to their grandma's house for Mother's Day from church. And they had like a little boy in a in a car seat in his like church suit. And they picked us up (laughs) and drove us into Irwin, Tennessee. And I was like, this is so weird <laughs> and they were so lovely and they were just like you know where have you been hiking and like tell us about your day and we're like on our way to granny's house and and i was like i'm so smelly <laughs> this is very weird um but just that like the way that the trail community intermingles with the town community in some of the places along the at is like a really special thing that you don't experience everywhere you know yeah i
1: i can just kind of see the the um dichotomy of it the the sunday best smelly hiker trash and and the the parents whatever seemed from what you're saying seemed to just kind of be like oh it's just another
0: day just picking up some hitchhikers (laughs) yeah yeah and, and I mean, they probably do that often because they live near the AT and, mm-hmm. and there's something really beautiful about the fact that along these trails, there's this understanding that like hitchhikers are cool. Like there's no fear, you know, you wouldn't stop in the middle of Kansas and pick up a hitchhiker, but next to the AT, it's no big deal. And like, I've picked up hitchhikers in and out of Yosemite national park. Cause it's like, they're just backpackers. They're out here hiking and they need to get back to their car or whatever you know like there's just an understanding that like i know what this person's doing and there's like a safety in that that's nice
1: very special thank you to christine for sharing her stories from the trails and in for the use of the song try again you can find show notes for this episode on our website at hiking-through.com also there you can find a link for christine's website where you can purchase her brand new book alone in wonderland on next week's episode i'll be speaking with sea lion known off trail as nandi singleton about her 2018 pct through hike and search for connection and community on the trail I'll see you on the trail.